Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. What's up? What's going on? Welcome to CLCI Live. And we've got a big crew with us today. We've got already audio problems with this crew. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get started, we want to remind everyone to like, comment, share. No, that's at the end. What am I supposed to say? I'm supposed to say comment. Yes, please comment. We would love to hear what you have to say. Even though we have a lot of people in this crew, we know that you have something to add and we would love to hear it. So did I miss anything? What's our topic today? You know, I'm going to let somebody else introduce our topic. Who is the lucky winner? I'll do it. I'll take a a swing at it. So today we're going to talk about why this thing up here in our brain housing groups are so hardwired to focus on the negatives and what we can do to focus more on the positives. So that's going to be our topic for today. So for you psychology nerds, it's called cognitive reframing, where you have us frame where you look at the world. And if you don't like the way that you look at the world or it's not serving you, you can just reframe, have a different perspective. Um, It happens just like that, right? Yep. Very easy. Just think differently. See, that this is kind of, um, this is getting like almost close to the secret kind of stuff. You guys know the secret. Like you just think, <laughs> what do you, can't hear you, bro. I know you're saying no. No, because the secret is about like, like. I'm saying it's close. It's not it. I'm not saying it is, but it's like almost. The secret there. is like you put the energy out there, you'll get the energy back at like that kind of, but it's like, I'm going to manifest success in my life just by thinking about it and not taking action. Like, um, and it gets to that point with the secret, just kind of silly. Um, this is reframing. It really is. What we're doing is, is looking, being able to look at a situation differently. Um, we don't have to get all uh, spooky woo woo. Uh, secret with it this is something that's very grounded in in um hard and fast capable of proving the results kind of ways (laughs) i'm gonna be a butthead now and say isn't there only one correct way to look at a situation (laughs) it's just there's there's the situation it's right in front of me and i'm i'm observing it that's the correct way no, we've not correct. First and foremost, we're going to get down into a philosophical debate, but I think we've done an entire live about black and white thinking. And with that, uh, I mean, outside of like mathematics, uh, correct and incorrect are very um, subjective terms. <laughs> uh, so I would caution anybody to be delving into the just this is the correct way to look at things like, um, well, maybe it's not. And it could be different from person to person. Mm-hmm. Also, when we talk about this, one of the things I want to talk about is first, like our experience in this space and then also how it applies to coaching. So I think that it's it's important for us to address like our experience first because that's sort of the human tangible way of us to understand these things and then we can take that and uh, apply it to the coaching space so what do we think reframing is about like what does reframing mean to you guys I didn't want to speak over anyone. I know we have a lot of people here. <laughs> the question, what does reframing mean to me just in the general sense of reframing? So in that, oh wait, first of all, can everyone hear me? All right. All right, cool. Yes, so reframing, yes. if you speak about it in the general sense, it's can simply be a shift in how you look at certain things, perspectives. When you look at, or you think of something, you look at something, you look at that thing, 
if you're reframing something, you're looking at the things around the thing. You're looking at the thing from another angle. So you can see a square from one perspective. You can see a cube from another. So now you've reframed what it is that you're looking at in your head. That's where I'm at. Hopefully that answered that question. Uh, Kyle? Oh gosh, I'm getting called out. Um, well, framing to me, I guess, is just like taking your daily um, instances or something that happens throughout your life and not thinking the worst can happen, although that's like your human perspective, you're your, in your genes to maybe think negative and be a protective, but it's being positive and trying to find maybe a different perspective on looking at an outcome that's not necessarily hurting your mental state. So that's reframing to me on where I'm coming from this. So you're for reframing for you specifically moving things to a positive space. Um, I think that for me, it can be any, we can be moving anything in any way. I mean, truthfully, we could, we could reframe something to be good, bad, horrible, uh, <laughs> you know, awesome, exciting, boring. Um, I think that, that that's pretty crazy when you think about it, that we can look at something and decide how we want to interpret it. Um, Anthony. Yeah. So with reframing, I think people speaking generally have a certain framework that they interpret the world through and some things um, are under the surface and you don't, you're not really, you know, cognizant of it all the time. So I come with a frame where I'm a man. I live in the United States, California. I have certain liberal points of view and I, you know, live in the 21st century. So I approach things in a certain framework. Whereas if I read a book by somebody written in the 1800s, they have a completely different framework that they're looking at the world through. So when you're reframing, you're making a conscious choice to try to look at the world through the way someone else would. Um, reframing can happen, you know, accidentally, like your frame could be changed um, or the way you interpret the world can be changed without you wanting it to be. And that's often like a very sometimes traumatic or overwhelming experience for people, but doing it consciously, you can just do it for your worldview. Like if my worldview is um, a pessimistic worldview or I'm a victim, uh, most of the time is my worldview. You're taking a step to think, okay, what would it, what would this situation look like if I was this person or I had this personality trait? Um, and then you're trying to work through that, how that could like be possible that specific point of view being possible. And if that's a point of view you like or works for you, then you keep reframing it towards things that are beneficial to you. So it's interesting, as you're sharing, you brought up an interesting point, um, which is the, the fact that, that things can be reframed for us sort of against our will uh, or, or suddenly, or um, what does that mean when he says that? What does that mean to you guys when he says that? Um, how about one of the ladies, uh, Lisa? <laughs> so when you say what, that reframe, it can be reframed in any way. I'm not following what the question is. What does it mean to me? I think is what you asked. Well, I was talking more specifically about when something is reframed for you sort of against oh. your, like it just life happens, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly mm -hmm. it could be traumatic because now you thought life was one way and yeah, not. yeah uh, I, thought of, I thought of an instance, you know, someone misinterpreting uh, the intentions, like say I had a set of intentions, I thought I was following through with those intentions. And they misinterpreted what, what I view as a misinterpretation, but they view it as a completely different frame of reference. Um, and that's been tragic definitely been tragic in that experience of what I thought the direction was versus what they thought the direction was. And there was no amount of convincing and trying to share that thought process I had in that moment. There was, there's nothing that could change the outcome to change that to the negative thought to the positive thought that that's, heartbreaking experience. 
where did Brooke go? She is not. I'm hiding so you can't see me. <laughs> um, uh, so as you were sharing, um, I can think of a couple like tangible examples of maybe traumatic reframes is let's say you have a spouse that cheats on you uh, and you think yeah. that the world is one way and suddenly boom, oh my goodness, now yeah. I'm seeing everything that's happened over the last Different. year yeah. from a whole new lens and every little action, every little thing, every little question, every little becomes now seen in a totally different light, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sam? Trust is blown. What's up? <laughs> I saw you like... <laughs> no, I'm listening to this because I know people who've gone through that. I've lived with people who have gone through that. And it's, I don't say interesting in a way where it's like, oh, that's really interesting in a good way. It's interesting to see how their worldviews are so warped by that one thing. And it's actually really sad coming from somebody who's married to hear what someone says about marriage, about women, about dating, love, and relationships. I have one way that I look at things because of my upbringings and even some of the things I've gone through. This individual's gone through something totally different, and now they're jaded, in a sense, from anything even similar to that. So when you said that, that's what I was thinking of. It's just like, oh, how sad. I mean, take it one step further. I've seen couples that they were uh, once happy, and now they're about to split, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly you've heard this phrase, all the cute things that they do now annoy me. Like you've heard people say so that annoying. all of the, then now I mean, no, everything he, he doesn't do. And they start to speak in these very grand, like he doesn't ever do anything. There's nothing he's ever done for me. There's nothing. And we sort of get to these polaris, polar thinking uh, spaces. And at that moment, I think what they're doing a lot of times is reframing everything about this other person in preparation to sort of split up with them to make it easier to like okay i don't want to be with this person anymore so now i'm looking at everything through this very critical very i'm annoyed lens um yeah. interesting i mean i think a tangible example that people can relate to of how we can flex into different spaces depending on what we want and choose to look at situations depending on truthfully what we want yeah. I've seen people who are not um, in a moment, I won't say that they always are this way, but uh, more on the manipulative sort of spectrum of things where they will decidedly uh, begin to, to decide something they want. And so now they start to reframe situations for themselves and other people to get that um, and, and will just kick things to the door. And it's just an interesting. Uh, isn't, but isn't that what marketing is as well, though, when you think about reframing? Ooh. I would say yes, marketing and re reframing, though, I think, depending reframing. on what you're marketing, it really yeah. depends on what you're marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if you've got a brand new product, you probably don't have a need for a reframe unless maybe it's a new invention that rethink the way you drink water or something like that, right? Well, uh, there's no in marketing, there's not really a reframing that's happening. It's the process of framing in the first place um, for your yeah. whoever your ideal client is. So you get to decide what your message, how it frames your coaching and the services you're offering. So there was one video that used this example, but I'll like adapt it for coaching. Uh, 70% I'm a relationship coach and 70% of my clients uh, end up having successful marriages. I could also frame it as 30% of my clients end up in divorce. Mm -hmm. um, there's mm -hmm. different ways to frame it and you will find greatly different levels of, of success depending on how you frame your message to your ideal clients. Um, but that's uh, like outside of the coaching. That's more so your marketing. A funny, a funny, if we're in the marketing space example that, that brings this to mind, and it's kind of a, it's, it's a less like deliberate and tangible way of framing things. But there are oftentimes um, advertisers will not like to advertise during like shows that are like very true crime or traumatic or, or they won't want their commercials run right after a really sad scene because all of those people are are essentially, they have been primed, they have been framed into being this really sad, miserable space. And so they're far less likely to buy. So a lot of shows will, they will say, okay, don't we in the contracts, do not run our commercials after 
a sad, negative, or traumatic scene, we only want to run after those like feel good, awesome moments. And so those become kind of like end caps, right? They become these 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 advertising times that are sought after because they know that their product, they're, they're, all those people are going in primed and ready to buy. They're in a great mood. Life is good. And their oxytocin is good. They're going to buy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I literally just went through this yesterday. We were watching, what was it? I think it was The Rookie after a sad scene. Don't ask me what the commercial was after that. I was too busy being like, what the heck just happened? So thank you for bringing that. Oh, man. No, yeah. man. I think that brings up a really interesting point. Um, because our thoughts are affected, I think, by emotions. So uh, kind of like what Brooke was saying, uh, for an example, say you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, uh, you get in an accident, uh, you spill coffee on your shirt, you're going to be more likely to think uh, pessimistically about a certain situation and maybe not necessarily take away what actually happened in that scenario. So you might think negatively if somebody came up to you, maybe you asked your, your boss for a raise that day, and because you had such a terrible day in the morning, you're like, oh, why did I even waste my time to do that? And you're thinking negatively about that situation. You're not really considering all the factors that maybe led to you potentially getting that raise, uh, not thinking about the fact that you've been a good employee for this certain amount of time and doing, you did this. Um, I think emotions play a huge role in um, how we can frame things and reframe things. I would go as far as to say they they are the pivotal yeah. role. They play a pivot, like they are uh really ultimately um whatever happens happens what we what do we have control over how we react to it uh mm -hmm. how we feel about it how we all of these you know life happens but good things are going to happen bad things are going to happen uh, i mean however you may not call them good or bad things are going to happen what we are in control of is our responses um and and that though sometimes feels impossible to some people which is another frame, isn't it? I have no control over how I react, my emotion. I have no control. I have, I can only feel this way about this thing. That's the sort of victim space, right? I, I, where you've just given it up, yeah. Sam. In a sense, that's both true and false. True in the sense where if you try to take control of your emotions in the heat of that moment, good luck. Like the battle's already on like proverbial rounds are already flying and there's no time to prepare at that point. But if you're in that space of peace, when you're in that space of calmness and still, you have that ability to start framing what you are going to do in the midst of something that might trigger you. We talk about this in our classes. It's about asking yourself what triggers you might have, what biases you might have. They're all rooted in some kind of emotion that we've chosen to take on or something that we've unconsciously taken on because we're the products of our environment. Like here's what you think about this kind of person or this kind of thing versus here in this space where you're calm, just start thinking to yourself, okay, what do I want to start believing about something? How do I want to start responding versus reacting? So I think if you do that, you'll have a better chance of taking control of your responses to the moment. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, added to the conversation as well. Our filters affect our framing too. I had something with an email today that I framed negatively, yet objectively my reaction isn't necessarily supported. Um, funny you should say that about filters. Uh, email filters, I had a really good lesson about uh, the really objective part about framing because I've had some emails where I've set up my filters and I framed it. So any email coming from this source, not important. Lo and behold, I ended up missing a really important email from that. And that's what I get for framing things negatively with a literal filter. But to your point, Sue, yes, your filters that you set up for yourself, that information will pass through. Um, if you say that's negative, then everything's going to look negative through that filter. If you say it's positive, everything's going to look uh, nice and rosy through those glasses as well. When I'm, when I'm in the middle of reframing something, I have to think about what my intention is. It's, you know, it's really coaching myself in that sense. I have to think about, you know, what, what is it that happened? I have to think about really what was, what is my intention? What, what is it that I want my outcome? 
and how do I need to rethink or reframe the the who I am in that process or the steps I need to take, et cetera, et cetera. So that that ability to reframe, I think is an important skill, one that we use with our coaching, but two that we use with ourselves in order to, well, I, I tend to like to see and be more positive. Right. That, I think somebody else said that. I don't remember who it was. If I get stuck in a negative thought process, part of it is also that I don't want to deny those thoughts because they're still part of me as well. Right. I, I, I notice I'm starting to get a little emotional in my eyes. So bear with me as I speak. <laughs> And in that place of not denying those negative thoughts, there's usually some point where I find the reframe, how it serves me. Somebody else used those words earlier as well. So in those streamline of thought to go through a process for me that allows me to think about a given situation differently, usually allows me to get back into what I like to call calm or neutral state so that I can really focus in on where to go and, and what to do and how to process. So when we're talking for us, for me, reframe is a place where I can come down to doing the best look at a given situation as factual as I can. I think that's what I would say there. So I have a couple questions that came up. And then we got to hear from Jen because I see your head nodding. Um, <laughs> uh, so a couple questions that came up when you were sharing. My first one is one of the things you said is I will look and I will decide how I want to feel or how I want something to go. So is a reframe outcome dependent? When you say outcome dependent, does it have to be one plus two equals three? I'm going to say I, in the adaptability as I flow through it, not necessarily, but outcome dependent is there still. So I don't exactly know how to answer that. Well, with clients, you know, we don't know the outcomes when we're right. coaching with them, but the client can frame however they feel about whatever outcome is. So they can, I'll, I mean, I'll ask them in a session, how, how would you feel if this didn't work out? How would you feel if this did work out? Mm -hmm. And then they can sort of set the frame for how they will feel when that outcome happens. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, things go their way, but that's not always the case. Pam, um, I saw you nodding your head. Well, okay. Jen, do you want to go first or do you yeah, want me Jen, to go Okay. All right. Since you're, since you're telling me, here we go. Is it outcome dependent kind of, and here's what I mean by that. I'm going to answer this carefully. It's not so much that it's outcome dependent. Your desire to reframe has to be connected to something real about you. Otherwise it's just arbitrary reframe for arbitrary reframe. And is it going to stick at that point because it's not connected to anything real with you? I say, no, it's not going to. So is there going to be a tangible outcome? Like I'm going to reach out my arm so I can grab this can of empty Coke zero. Not something, it doesn't have to be as black and white or in your face. It just has to be something that is truly real. That's what I say to that. So that dovetails kind of into the second question I had, which was, um, and it's, it's in the same space. So I'm not even going to comment on what was just shared because when we talk about reframing, is it, how does it work on a timeline? Is this, are we reframing for the future or are we reframing for the past? Dead. <laughs> Yeah, both. Um, and so I'll give you an example. And also my definition, I wanted to see how this lands with you guys for reframing is simply finding another truth. So like Anthony gave that example about 70-30, both are true or could be true. Um, 
my example, which is also relevant to past, present, future reframe, um, it took me nearly a decade to get a four-year college degree. I used to think that that made me not great. <laughs> I used to think that that made me negative things. I used to feel shame about it. I used to be embarrassed about it. And then the reframe that I built into my life that has changed the way I feel about that experience and the way I feel about myself is that I acknowledge that it took me nearly a decade to get a four-year college degree because I had an undiagnosed disease that was causing me to have excessive sleepiness. So I was falling asleep for 10 years trying to get a four-year degree. And I used to feel ashamed about that. And when I shifted it to, not that it took me 10 years to get a college degree, but I got a college degree despite the fact that I was falling asleep every day in class for 10 years. Holy shit. That's amazing. It changed everything for me going forward. It's a reframe from my past, but it affects how I feel about myself now and how I go forward and talk to other people. And so I would agree with you. It's a now and going forward. It's not reframing the past because you can't really reframe. You can't change how you thought in your history. You can change today on what your thoughts are about a given situation that you had in your history. Okay. So it's the now I can plant this. I can, I know how, I know how to, I know what this means to me and that creates a little neural connection in your brain that says, aha, I've got this neural path now that now I can build on for future concepts. So when you were sharing, that's what I was hearing. I, I heard how you took your experience, you uh, shared how you had thought about it, you changed your interpretation of it, and then and then the opens the possibilities for all of these amazing future concepts. Thanks for sharing. Uh, so Jen reminded me of a hardcore reframe I, I did. I got hard. And it's, it was actually like a twofold reframe. It was like two times over reframe. Um, like it, and this was a reframing that took like years. Um, uh, to, to get into effect essentially, but, uh, cause it was a process. It was a process for me. And this was around my, um, my, my attack. I was almost murdered. And when you come out of something like that, where you've almost been murdered, there's so many things that happen with you psychologically. Like I can't trust myself. How did I get into this situation? How did this happen to me? I can't trust myself because this happened, right? You, you, a lot of people think that you're just going to blame the other person, but I immediately went to a space of, oh my God, I'm blaming me. And now I'm scared. I can't trust myself. How can I trust anything else when I can't trust myself? So, but then I found that if I stopped framing myself as a victim and I started framing myself as somebody who's capable of identifying the choices I made and how I, the thing, the red flags I saw that the moments that happened, how and how I could the next time, how I was a different human being, that I was somebody now capable of, of understanding what those things were, that I would not get myself into that same situation. And that brought me a, a tremendous amount of comfort. Um, I still had fear, though. I still had all this fear. I still had all these things. And I, um, you know, the whole time I was, I was thinking, oh, my God, I can't trust myself. How can I trust myself coming out of this? And it was, I think it was Lisa that actually said this to me one time we were discussing this and we were discussing about how I was, uh, how scared I have all this fear and there's this fear and how do I handle it? And when I realized that I saved my own life, I, at the end of the day, in that attack, I was the one who managed to scramble and grab a phone and call 911 and get them there. And um, I saved my own life. And I also stood trial. I also uh, got on a stand and faced that person and um, all of those things. And I was like, wow, because you feel so weak. And then when I reframed that and I was like, oh my God, I saved my own life <laughs> at the end. You know, I, I not only that, I've, I've hopefully done something that, that will save somebody else's. Um, 
that that for me was a really powerful way to stop being scared and it helped me so much in stopping being scared was just to to give myself that credit and stop looking at it like really truthfully like it was something that that happened to me and i i had no effect in it and just happened but go hey wait no i there was something i did that was kind of awesome in this um and that that completely changed the way i looked at at that that incident in my life so and so that, that definitely affects my future <laughs> you know that fear is not there like it once was it certainly is not so so then let's say then as coach coach is sitting down with you brooke or jen and you're telling them this before the reframe happened you have your frame that you're not entirely comfortable with is it the coach's job to reframe the situation for the client if they see that there or is it the coach's job to maybe suggest is there a way to reframe this uh to the client and invite them to reframe it jen so i actually came to my reframe through a coaching session so i feel like i can speak to this a little bit i'm not sure if it was uh right but it it worked for me it was simply i was sharing my version my story my narrative of who i was and i was sharing it from a perspective of you know i'm the victim of this you know this disease this condition that caused me to not you know be a functioning adult and i you know just took forever to go through college and it's so sad it's so pathetic and she said you know i'm hearing something else i'm hearing this strength i'm hearing this perseverance i'm hearing this this drive this uh you never you never gave up and look at look at where it got you and it was like what oh my god again finding another truth both were true it just depends on which way you look at it and when i got offered that other way to look at it i never looked back because that felt like oh that's it that's me that's my truth that's the one that i'm going to carry with me oh yeah so one question what in carrying that with you what did that how how has that changed your world? I don't carry guilt or shame over taking almost a decade to get a college degree. And I did, I did before I carried guilt and shame. I used to think maybe I shouldn't have even gone to college. Maybe it was a total waste. I'm not even using my degree anyways. What does it matter? All of that. And so I carried all of that with me into my daily life, into my interactions with everybody. You could see it on me. There was this piece of me that was just clinging to that. And when I saw the opportunity to release that, never look back. So there's a question in the, in the. Wait, wait, oh, get Sam, Sam, Sam is excited back there. I got to give Sam and then we'll do the question. <laughs> Well, actually, they're kind of related. First things first, if we have learned anything in this live stream, it's that the people at CLCR are freaking awesome, all right? Jen, Brooke, big ups to y'all, all right? Um, to answer Anthony's question, is it our job to reframe our client's world for them? Directly speaking, no, it's not. Are we to hold that space for them to get that opportunity for a reframe much like Jen went through? Absolutely. So it kind of goes to the question, and I kind of thought that was going to come at some point. How do you find that balance? And I don't want to take away from the answering to that question. But as coaches, if the client is going down that road themselves through the words that they're speaking and the coach is following, that's one thing. If the coach is looking at it from an outside view and saying, I need to get this client to reframe their world, that's where we're going to draw the line there. Because as we learn here, it's a client led process. And if that's where the client's going, so it all depends on what was said before and what's said after context of the conversation to Anthony's point. Yeah. 
And Brian, if you guys want to put up Brian Mitchell's question so everybody can read it, how do you find the balance between leading a client into a reframe and DSM-5 uh, realities? Does it mean nailing the intake uh, and understanding more about your client from the start? Mm. I don't know if it means you have to always nail the intake and because there's only so much you can learn from that intake before it becomes a friction rather than an easy process to get to you. Um, but when you're in that situation, like let's say um, any sort of past trauma happens and it's brought up in the coaching session um, and there's an opportunity for a reframe, um, of course, that's a place where as a coach you want to tread carefully because um, I'm not trained in the DSM-5 nor am I psychologist. Um, but there are opportunities that arise where you as a coach can ask, well, is there another way that someone else could see the situation? Is there an alternative point of view out there? And open the door for exploration um, without really having to address like the, the psychological or trauma aspect of that. Lisa, um, I want to kick it back over to you too. <laughs> um. So um, I had a lot of dogs barking and I'm not sure of all, of all that Anthony said. So if I repeat what he said, please bear with me. But going down the, the highway of answering, you know, it's you following the client. You're following what that client is saying. When, when Jen shared, she got to share her whole story. We didn't interrupt and say she should have done this or she, right? She told her story. <sighs> As we go down in the beginning of our coaching, we kind of pick into what exactly we hear our client is saying. But there is a time when you become more seasoned and you're not using your own filters in this space. You become more seasoned with the process, trusting the process and what you're hearing that client say. But you're also hearing what they don't say. This is not the place of what you think they ought to be saying. There's a huge difference in that practice of learning to really listen to what that client says allows you to grow within the coaching process to hear the words that they're not saying, yet they really are saying. So I'm going to go on a limb and guess that that's what happened in you know Jen's experience as well um, in that place where her coach heard her speak about how she still got up and went to class. She still did this in class. She, how she accommodated herself. And so those words that Jen didn't speak became really loud and clear in that exchange. That also takes time for you and your client to get into the process of coaching and trusting the, the process. I'm going to say mostly it doesn't. Can it happen the first time? Yes. But I'm going to say it mostly doesn't because there's usually that learning to grow into the process of coaching. So as far as DSM-5, like Sam said, I think Anthony said, we're, we don't utilize that um, therapy side of things. That's not for us. We refer out in that space, nailing the intake. I think nailing is an expectation that may disengage the ability to grow into the experience of that coaching session. Understanding that client, there's times that I have gotten a client in that first session and we are, we are down that reframe highway rather quickly as, as there are other times we might be in session seven before it ever comes out. So anyway, yeah, Brooke. Uh, one question, or I mean, I, okay. So where I think that the, uh, if we look at the question and I'm just probably being overly analytical here, but, um, how do you find balance between leading a client into a reframe and DSM five realities? Does it mean nailing the intake and understanding more about your client from the start? So, where I think that that uh, I would say probably no, truthfully, because I think that the reality is when we talk about removing blocks, 
when we talk about limiting beliefs, when we talk about these sort of things, we are talking about things that are affect our clients and those things that are affecting our clients are going to come out um, at some point. Right. Uh, and we're going to have to ha ask questions around them. Um, I think the big difference between uh, knowing that people are human and have experience and have limited beliefs, have things in their past that probably could serve them to reframe um, and somebody who is suffering currently through a, a, a trauma and is still very much in that space where they haven't processed it. Somebody who's uh, got a genuine clinical DSM-5 thing going on. Um, I think that, that we we need to take the time to, to really learn, I guess, what those differences are uh, so that we can then go, okay, wait, people will have moment. I mean, the way we teach how to, that, that that is part of coaching. So I think it would be um, unrealistic to not think that our clients at some point won't bring up things like Jen has where they, oh, well, I, and it's probably going to be in passing and probably be said lightly or it'll be said, I can't do that. Or, and that's when we ask why, and we start to inquire. And those I think become where these really pivotal mm -hmm. reframe moments happen. But I, I do think reframing is a very pivotal part of coaching. So what we've been addressing with the uh, reframing has been a lot to do with the past, um, which we as coaches don't really tend to dwell in the past so much. Um, at least in our training, we're more future oriented um, because dwelling in the past can get into some muddy issues such as like coaching the ghost, therapy, um, accidentally giving therapy or mental health advice, things like that. So how do we transition reframing from strictly how a client views their past or a past situation and applying it to the future and how they're going to act differently with a new frame in mind? A simple question. How does that serve you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's going on with you today? Yeah. Something along those lines. I think, I think too, if we're talking about, um, you know, like for me specifically with my example, I had a lot of fear. That fear was preventing me from um, getting out there and meeting people in the world and making friends, right? So so my goal in that situation would be, well, I want to get out there and make friends. This is something I want to do. Well, but I got all this fear and I feel like I'm, I'm scared that I, I can't trust myself. I'm scared that these things, and, and, and so for a coach, if, if that's what I came to you guys with, uh, where I want to make friends, but, um, you know, I have a lot of fear around it. I feel like, you know, I've been taking, I've, I've had some pretty crazy things happen in my past and I'm, I'm, a, uh, it's made me afraid to interact with people, but I know that's something I want to do. Uh, and I'm, I'm here because I want to make a plan to do that. What would you guys ask in that space? I, okay. I'll take a, I'll take a swing at it. First things first. It really all depends on how many sessions this is with you. If I know that if I've been with you several times in a coaching session, I might start, at, I might be a little bit more, not like provocative, but challenging in the sense, okay, so repeat what you said before, Brooke, like what's the action plan that you want to walk away with? So I want to, I want to walk away. I want to start getting out there and meeting people. I'm, I'm tired of being alone all the time and I want to get out there and I want to, I want to meet people. Okay. So what will you need to see to know that you're not alone? That might be a question I ask. Ooh, that's a powerful question, by the way. <laughs> um, um, it's an interesting one too, though, because, because I think it, for me, it's less about being alone and being loneliness in this moment and more about but I guess it was too. It certainly was. Um, but yeah, I wanted human connection. I wanted like real life in person, human connection, like in, like there's, you know, I wanted to be able to get out and, and interact in person with other people. So how will I know that I, I will be doing that? <laughs> right. Mm. And, and then the other side of that too, is I don't want to be asking myself if I'm going to live every time I leave my house, like in, in every social situation I go into, I have a, a moment where I go, am I going to 
am I going to live through this? And it, it creates a whole panic. Uh, and, and so then I would really like to stop doing that. Like, I would like to just get out there and just go and, and have it be, un, be unafraid, be just like, ah, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to see people and it's not going to be terrifying. So, <laughs> then with two things that you brought up is the alleviation of loneliness, the same, or does it produce the same outcome as finding human connection? I wouldn't say I'm doing this because I'm lonely. I'm doing this because I'm ultimately an extrovert that's been living a life as an introvert. And and it doesn't know, I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to just put myself out there. Like it feel like, you know, and this is the, this is the true me when, you know, I feel like I've gotten through a lot of this, but the true me then, and even I have moments of this now, uh, there's me at 20. I, I knew what to do, where to go, how to meet people. It was no problem. And there was so many situations where that opportunity presented itself. Me at 40, it seems exponentially more difficult. <laughs> and um, often coupled with all these uh, these fears and concerns and, and other things. And, and um, I, it's a lot of times don't even know where to start, so I don't even try. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. <laughs> it gets me every time. Every time. I'm just like. <laughs> Sam wrote what we were all thinking that Brooke doesn't look 40. <laughs> right? Every time it gets me. I'm telling you. So, Brooke, I would probably ask you what is it costing you to continue living life as an introvert? when you feel like an extrovert? I, I come to life around people. Like I, I can be home all day and, you know, doing things and I, but I, and I'm in my head and I'm just sort of going through the motions, but the moment I'm around other people and connecting with other people and it's like my light turns on. It's like bliss. You know, it's, it's, I, I love interacting with human beings. Um, I love learning about people. I love interacting with them. And so like, that's why it was such like a flip for me to be somebody who was so extroverted, social out there. And now I'm hearing I'm not that person. And I don't even know, I, I'm going into these situations and there's like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of times. And, and there's, uh, so much silly insecurity around it too. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone notice she didn't even answer the question? <laughs> oh, what was the question? I mean, apparently, how did I not answer it? Oh, what is it costing me? Well, it's costing me all of that. It's costing me, for me, uh, there you go, nonlinear right there. Uh, it's costing me um, the price of, of that feeling, of that, the joy of being around other people, of, of human connection, of um, just having a tribe, having a people to hang out with and meet and do things with it and you know being bored on a Saturday night and having an option other than watching TV <laughs> you know so I think maybe we just observed with you Brooke wasn't like a a total reframe but the frame got enlarged oh yeah there's a bigger frame mm -hmm. that we're working with now that includes the motivation, the motivational aspects of why you want to have more friends and the the costs of not doing it and the benefits that you will get from ex enlarging your social network, um, which you know, for, oh, go on. Really good point. And that just brought something to my mind with me uh, and didn't even, some, an application for reframing that I hadn't even considered, right? Uh, for us as coaches, right? If we as coaches, we there's a couple things that go on right one of how are we as coaches framing our clients mm -hmm. this is wait is that an act is that a rhetorical a question. question or is that, that something like, that okay how are we framing our clients Ooh, i think that that is so it, it's something i talk about in level one it's like if the way you look at your clients is going to either create the temptation or stuff down the impulse 
to give them advice or lead them down a path. If you look at them as somebody who needs your help and needs your insights, and as soon as they say, I don't know, you have that game of advice on quick draw with them. It's because you've looked at them as they won't get the answer without me. But if you look at them as whole, complete, resourceful, innovative, in a sense, even when they don't know, it's gonna be much easier for you to lean back and let them figure things out on their own, which is what ICF coaching calls for in the first place. I think a lot of uh, newer coaches too, the initial framework that is kind of assumed is that something is wrong with the client and coaching can fix it. Um, the client is not getting a result they want through coaching, the coach delivers the result. That is not exactly how I think a lot of us here conduct our coaching, but I, in my personal experience, I don't conduct my coaching that way. Um, where the coach might be tempted, okay, let's reframe this and then go with a narrative that, you know, either assuages the client's fears or works for them, uh, regardless whether or not it's true or not, it might be a different kind of truth, but you're throwing out the bad truth that's not working and making a new truth that does work. Another way to frame the client is you're making their frame bigger so that they consider the whole truth in its ugly and nicer aspects so that the client can make a well-informed decision and make a well-informed plan how to get what they want. So that's how I frame the client, but there's probably a bajillion other ways to do that too. I think too, as a coach, we might start with our frame of our client being this big, but as we get deeper and deeper, the frame is going to become a lot bigger and bigger for us as coaches. And I think we, um, it's important that it gets bigger. And I think it's also important that we realize and frame it as we don't have all the answers, uh, because we're just scratching the surface. Um, so that's why we got to dig and remain in that curious place and, and keep asking those questions so that, that we can make and understand the frame better and understand how to ask and, and, and assist our clients so that they can do the same. And what I'm hearing is this, it's educating ourselves in the process of who that client is and wants to be. And we can't be educated unless we really listen. You know, there's a lot of words out there that says, just listen, we got two ears to listen, let's talk. The, the idea is just listen at that deeper level and, and really hear what the client is saying. And when we do that, I should not have their answers. No, there was something that I don't remember exactly when it came up, but as far as having a frame for our clients is concerned, I think it's important that we as coaches periodically check in with ourselves to see if we even have that frame, because sometimes it's a lack of frame or a lack of awareness of the fact that we have a frame that can trip us up. And that moment again, where the client doesn't seem to have an answer in a coaching session or session three, session four, session five rolls along and they don't seem to be moving forward those perceived failures or plateaus are going to create a frame for us where we look at our clients as unable to find an answer. Now we got to jump in there. So I always say I'm meeting my clients for the first time every time. I'm meeting them every time as whole, as complete. Even if they plateau, they're still being met for the first time. And I can ask more about whatever plateaus there are, either the client or Am I looking at this as a plateau or am I just being impatient here? And again, leaving it up to them to show off the, I say this appropriately, the beauty of their frame. That is where I'm going to stop right there before I say something weird. <laughs> so guys. You got what I mean though, right? <laughs> I have one question for all of you. What, what does your frame look like? <laughs> strong my frame is like man. for you literary people out there it's like um gosh dang it what is that book called it's by oscar wilde uh the pick the portrait of um 
picture of Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray, yeah. Yeah, if I look at it, then I'll die. So I can't, I can't analyze my own frame. <laughs> That's the answer to my question. I would say my frame has a bunch of smiley faces around it because I try to look at everything uh, glass half full. Obviously, when emotions kind of take over sometimes, uh, you think of things pessimistically, but I do my best to always remain in that frame mindset that things in the end are always going to work out. Kyle? 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 My frame. <laughs> I would say my frame is still being worked on being um, a strong frame. I think there's a lot of still figuring out to make I have a lot of time to go to learn life and to deal with some of these every like I said like Sam said you know every day you're a new person and meeting a new person so I feel like there's a lot of framework to still be built but I do see a lot of uh, positive on one side and a lot of work to be doing maybe on the other Sue shared her frame my frame is changing colors and shape, getting bigger to see the farthest horizon and space around it and the wonder and adventure in it. She beats Lisa and Sam Jerome, what are your frames? I think I just said mine. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Jen, Jen, Sam, Lisa? <laughs> Go ahead, Jen. Um, my frame is through the lens of love. <laughs> It's so cheesy, but it's so true. And also empowerment, love and empowerment. I am always looking for more. And when I'm in a situation or I see others in a situation where they may be missing that lens, I offer it. For what it's worth, Jen, I don't think that was cheesy at all. The frame of love, <laughs> might, even if you think it sounds cheesy, like, listen, this world needs it, all right? Yeah, um, I like Everybody likes cheese, okay? So that's you know, yes, that's yes, okay. I'm gonna eat Jen's frame, apparently. <laughs> um, so I'd say my frame is follower of God, day in, day out, learning what that means to walk it out practically as a husband, as a friend, as a family member, and just being sensitive to that lead and wherever it takes me for the rest of my life. Lisa? You know, I love everybody's frames. <laughs> um, I think it's all interactive. I think the connections, so I, I'm trying to describe my frame. It's, a, it's an open interactive frame, one that changes and yet still remains the same. It's one that is has its humanness but it is yeah the fluidity of it and the ability to learn from it the love and cheesiness of gens as well <laughs> love and empowerment yeah kind of like the one behind me yeah <laughs> brooke um, my frame is a goofy frame, uh, <laughs> but it's a solid one. It's a consistent one. Uh, it's a, uh, that's, that's, I think a very, um, I guess you could say cornerstones of my frame is that it's solid, but it is goofy and fun. <laughs> um, so, uh, while it can take life seriously, it knows to laugh and, um, and not take it too seriously. Um, and, uh, I think that, that, that's all my frame needs to be right now. <laughs> the frame that does not look a day over 25. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sam, you can come on again. I'm confident. <laughs> right. <Rick> would appreciate it. <laughs> Just saying. Um, all right. That's it for us guys. We did it. Um, um, do we want to, I think we, we should close out here with Brian's uh, comment. Yeah. He said, Sam said something profoundly uh, powerful in level one. 
it is way more powerful to be curious and interested in people than it is to strive to be interesting to people. And I've heard Sam say that as well. I agree 100%. With that, we are done for today. So we'll see you next week, Tuesday, same time. Please like, share, comment on this. We will respond to you guys. Hey, and you YouTube, YouTube watchers, I'm calling you out specifically. Make sure you subscribe. Subscribe yeah. to our channel. Do yeah, it. Yeah. Thank you. Join us on our three-day intensives. Yeah. yeah, take that too. Have fun with us. Come on. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF-accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.